0: I'm back with my fun-filled producer Alex for another edition of Truth, Lies, and Cover-ups. Alex, how you doing?
1: Well, I'm mostly here. I'm missing a part of my nose.
0: You are missing a part of your nose because, um, Alex, <laughs> you have been a victim of a crime. Let's I'm a talk, terrible,
1: terrible victim.
0: Let's talk about the victim, the, the victimhood that you have stepped into. So, <laughs> um, you had a friend bring a uh, dog over to your house, and then what happened?
1: really cute little puppy dog. And I'd met him before. And uh, he's sitting on the floor in front of me. I'm on the couch, I'm scratching his little doggy head. And we're having a good time. And he's wagging his tail. And I guess he just got excited and uh wanted to eat my face or something. So he lunges straight at my face. He opens my his mouth and I can see his mouth coming right at my face.
0: And it was a big mouth. I think
1: it, it was, he was fully open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, yeah, it was a big mouth. and uh, And he basically headbutts me in the bridge of my nose with his nose and his teeth. So
0: So it was like mm, like like a kiss with teeth.
1: Something like that, a kiss with impact and teeth.
0: Filled and with love for Alex. One of
1: his teeth just impacted the bridge of my nose and it nicked it a little bit and you know got a little bit of blood, but it just looks like a shaving cut. It's not a big deal, but um but here's the thing, it was I I've never seen anything like that. It was not an aggressive move he you know was still sitting there wagging his tail like we were having fun together Uh, it was almost like he just wanted to swallow my head out of love
0: right all
1: out of love (laughs) he's a really sweet dog though
0: Yeah. Other than the time he tried to eat your face.
1: Apart from that, he's a really, really sweet dog. All
0: right. I'm going to call assault on that, but you can call it love if you like.
1: (laughs) Well, way to pour assault in the wound.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm, That's That's what I'm good for. So uh, we're talking about crimes today because we we have been doing the, the true crime, false crime show, and we found out it is really hard to create these crimes so that I can guess because the the truth is just stranger than anything we can make up. So we're just gonna um, chat about true crime today and some of the things that we found out there. So Alex, what do we got?
1: Lord child, I got a story for you today.
0: Oh, I'm ready.
1: <laughs> we're going to talk about history's most expensive cocaine-fueled gay porno. Are you ready for this?
0: I don't know. Pro- no. I
1: know this is a family-friendly show, so I'm going to edit it I out a we, bit I, in the process, but I, I want to be able to get the gist of the story to you because this is, I mean, it's just too good to make up.
0: All right. Okay. What do you got?
1: So certain guy, uh, and, and for some reason, yeah, it's not showing up here on my screen, but his name is George Bosk. This is back in the seventies okay. and he's a talented kid. He really wanted to join the police. And uh, and he would write these very self-righteous letters when he was in school to the uh, to the letters to the editor in the newspaper, uh, basically talking about narcotics and nudity and uh, and porno and gay lifestyle, homosexuality, how these are the scourge of the of the planet, yada, yada. And uh, and he really wanted to join the police. So when he finishes high school, he goes and applies to like every police force and everyone pretty much shuts him down. So he ends up working as a security guard driving a armored truck. This is in San Francisco.
0: Armored truck for cash.
1: Yeah, armored truck with cash. Meanwhile, he's a uh, you know his, uh, all of his hatred of you know all these things that he had discussed in the newspapers with his letters to the editor. I don't know where that came from because somehow he met the love of his life, a guy named Carl. It's always guys named
0: Carl. It's you (laughs) got to watch out for that. But
1: -hmm. then Carl breaks up with him in 1980. Oh, the guy snaps. He robs his own armored truck. uh, And and to the point where, you know, the the ticked off company Brinks is now offering $150,000 reward because they think the guy's hiding out in Peru. But in reality, he was just down in New York and he develops an incredible cocaine habit and becomes a popular figure in the underground gay scene largely because he would shovel out huge stacks of cash to anyone who would ask.
0: Man, I should have I should have got some of that.
1: Well, that'll make you popular in most mm-hmm, scenes. Mm-hmm. So at some point between these conspicuous bathroom trips, the guy apparently gets bored and decides to make a big budget gay porn movie set in ancient Rome. Oh. Now, big budget back then, it cost at least $200,000, which would be about triple that today. That
0: is nothing.
1: Yeah, well, I know how
0: much TV stuff costs. I just bankrolled one. I know.
1: <laughs> OK, so I it may be different when we're dealing with porn. I'm not sure. But um, anyway, he's got an elaborate set. He's got a cast of 32 performers out there. And free cocaine was provided as part of the catering. And of course, everybody got paid from a giant suitcase full of cash. at the end That's of how the day. that's
0: how I did my show. It is. Yeah,
1: that's how we do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, shockingly, the shoot turned into a complete disaster. Excuse me, disaster. Uh, and for starters, the guy kept rewriting the script at the last second, and his dialogue was so bad that the crew was just howling with laughter off camera, which kept messing up the, uh, the scenes that they were trying to do.
0: Well, yeah, that's here's why that's bad, because back then, you know, they had to um, they had to buy the film.
1: Oh, it was literally film, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 it was
0: film. Like, like, we didn't have to do that on my show. And
1: that stuff's expensive, isn't it?
0: It was really expensive. So you want to shoot it again. I thought I had a lot, a lot laid out, which is time. But man, imagine if you had to buy film. Oh, God.
1: Can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. So none of those actors had ever ridden a horse before. And they're trying to do these dramatic horseback scenes. They turn basically into a horse wandering around with a terrified stripper perched awkwardly on top of them. (laughs) And meanwhile, the guy insisted on shooting some scenes at a, I'm not going to repeat what this kind of club was, but we're going to call it the local fight club, which Got is going to be sort the of close to what they did there. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, you know, a, well, okay. You get the idea. Um, uh, and they had offered him a free lifetime membership if he would feature him, the, their location in their movie. Uh-huh. But not even those cost saving measures kept him from running out of money before he got into post-production. So now he's broke. He's lonely. He goes back to San Francisco in search of long lost Carl. Oh! But he didn't find him because Carl had moved to Texas. He got the hell out. Um, but the police who had been looking for him for 15 months did find him and get this. They didn't just arrest him. You know what they did? Uh, super arrested him.
0: Su- oh, how yeah. would one get super arrested?
1: I think you have to put on a cape before you arrest him.
0: I don't know. I think it's a beatdown SWAT team. I think it's SWAT team. <gasps> Those uh, leftover yeah. leftover tanks from the desert
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is where most of the tanks are. They store them out in the desert to keep them from rusting. I
0: think they store them in like Kansas and stuff.
1: No, they store them in uh, I think Nevada.
0: Oh, I thought they actually I thought they handed them out to police uh, agents that like local police.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. For fighting crime, mm-hmm. crime fighting tank. Well, weren't <laughs> we going to we were going to purchase that crime fighting sub that they had to uh, when when the police were being defunded, they wouldn't be able to keep their sub. We were going to pick that up, I think.
0: I think we looked at that on the
1: uh, on yeah, the, the police uh, sub
0: <laughs> on, on the auction sites. Yeah, because, you know, a submarine is good to have in Colorado.
1: We do need a submarine. Mm -hmm. Uh, So nonetheless, he has been super arrested. And but there's still the matter of getting the money back for the company that he stole it from. Right. Uh, From the armored car place. Exactly. So get this. Their insurance company sues the guy for the rights to the film that he made with their money. Oh, no. But they get him into court over this whole thing. And the the director starts distributing photos taken of the scenes in the fight club oh now it's not actually fighting that they're doing in there but yeah it was the fight club so our
0: listeners just have to connect the dots they can do that
1: right and if they can't that's good Uh, (laughs) so yeah this case got (laughs) rapidly dropped once those photos hit the courtroom and it was so embarrassing for brinks they're like nope we're just gonna eat this one so you know keep that in mind if you ever have to get out of a lawsuit just distribute pictures of you at the fight club and uh you well, might just I'm gonna away. file
0: that away I hope I don't ever need to use that Intel
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hope not
0: oh my goodness well we have a you know I um I got an interview today
1: Oh, yeah. Who's yeah this? Abby,
0: Abby Ellen. She's. Um,
1: oh, and you two know some of the same people, don't you?
0: Well, we do. But let's talk about Abby first, because, you know, she's a New York Times writer. She's uh-huh. kind of a big deal. And she has a new book called Duped, Duped the Double Lives, False Identities and the Con Man I Almost Married.
1: Now, what is her background besides being a New York Times writer? Was she somehow involved with rooting out crimes like this or this well, is just something that she was her.
0: she was doing some interviews ends up falling in love with this guy who she was interviewing like a few uh-huh. years later and he kind was of the way faking, that you do
1: with me all the well, time
0: well i don't know about that but she was uh she was faking or he he was faking uh all of his um all of his information and you gotta listen to the interview to figure out why and how it added up but uh yeah pretty amazing because she's done all this research on double lives like she's she's pretty interesting
1: Huh. Okay. Oh, I'm excited to hear this one. What else do we need to know about Abby? Oh, Ellen? Uh,
0: well, yeah, we do have some common acquaintances in that. Uh, she, well, you know, she's in the media. So she worked at the tour DuPont and uh, had a few run-ins with um, our friend Lance Armstrong.
1: Oh, yeah. And, you know, Lance, do you not?
0: Uh, well, yeah, we've had some run-ins too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think you had a run-in with his father. Did you not? Huh?
0: I did. I did. I met his dad on a plane and we talk about that too. So, <laughs> uh, cause you know, uh, I used to be a bike racer, you know that. And, um, mm-hmm. and I, I got, I got pretty good and it turned out there was this, uh, you know, Lance kid on the team with me all the time. So, uh, yeah, quite a few run-ins and uh, a good introduction to fraud at a young age.
1: Well, that is fascinating. And I, I did know that about you being a bike racer, but I knew you were more than just a bike racer, that you were actually a super bike racer,
0: a super good one on some days. yes. no,
1: it's just because you rode with the Cape.
0: Oh, right. Or the Cape. Right. Yeah, it was that. It was just but the Cape. OK, I got to get to the interview.
1: Have a great interview. I'll be in the back. Okay.
0: Abby, thank you so much for joining me on Truth, Lies and Cover-Ups. I am so excited to to have you here.
2: Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh.
0: Okay, so here's the deal. I read your book. Your book is called Duped. Hang on, it's right here. "Dupe: Double Lives, False Identities in the Con Man I Almost Married. I have it right here. I read the whole thing on a flight. Usually I can never, I can't read for that long on flights because I fall asleep. <laughs> I was, I read from start to finish. I was so sucked in and I still had more to read. So. Um, oh, thank you. Thank so you, thank you. It's so well- like uh, like you wove a story in in with research and with experts, but um, we'll get into that because we have some common uh, people we've been around. Oh, good. And um, let's why don't we jump into the story first, and then maybe we'll get into some tools and some research and things that you found, and and really where you are now in in life so um i'll let you and, and if you want to introduce yourself because you write for it was it new york times is that i write it?
2: yeah so i'm abby ellen and i write um i'm an independent journalist but i write mostly for new york times so that's i was a columnist there for five years in the business section and and then i wrote a book about childhood obesity and weight loss camps called teenage wasteland like your waist which is very funny if you can spell and then i um, you
0: are you are witty
2: through the book (laughs) i i enjoyed that i was like me and you are gonna get along great (laughs) you know you gotta be funny because life is way too hard otherwise um and then i Well, then I was going back to school. I wanted to get my, what I call my second useless master's. And I, right around the same time as I was going to Johns Hopkins in in Washington, D.C., actually not Baltimore, but D.C., I met this guy who I had interviewed for the New York Times for a story, and he was a doctor. Hmm. And I talked to him, and and I quoted him, and we had a nice rapport. The story did not run for another year. A year later, I called him. I said, are you still in private practice in Beverly Hills? He said, no, I'm in the Navy now. And I'm opening up a hospital for kids with cancer in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I thought, wow, that's great. Keep me posted. That's a story Mm because I am interested in international affairs, blah, blah, blah. Very long story short, he kept me posted a year later. We began talking on the phone. There was no overlap with work, with the times or anything. But we started talking on the phone and he uh called me more and more and he finally asked me out and we got involved. And we ended up he proposed after oh. six months and we were living together in the Watergate, which makes me so happy. Um because that's yeah, the like, Watergate you know,
0: hotel where everything went down.
2: Round zero for deception. I mean, yeah, it's like, man. Oh, awesome! And so I did that. Um, but wait, and hang, then, on,
0: hang on? Because I think yeah. I think you're skimming over the thing. Like, because things that once you got to the Watergate, did, weren't things starting to they, go yes, a little uh, bit wrong?
2: Yes. The, the, the thing was that so we we I was going to tell a brief story. So we lived in the Watergate, and within a year of having moved met him and moved in, I was done. I was done. We were not going to be engaged anymore. A year and a half later, I got a phone call, and from uh special agent dan ryan with ncis mm-hmm. naval criminal investigative service there was a doctor who was writing prescriptions for vicodin and other drugs and he was forging my name and yeah and other people and did i know this doctor and did i have a prescription and i said well i know this doctor and no i have a you know i prefer valium so I don't have- <laughs> <laughs> so um anyway so he I had to go make a statement against him and it was great for me because it was very validating because I had suspected all along which was your question I had suspected all along that there was something wrong with him that he was a liar he told me that he had been a navy seal in his youth and he was old I mean at this time point I was 42 he was 58 oh boy so he was, yeah he was older than I was and he had gone back to the navy he had been in private practice. He had joined the Navy again at like 57 years old. That's old. Uh-huh. And um, they let so, people in that all, I mean, really? Yeah, well, they did though let him in. He really wasn't, that's what's so funny. And there's, I'll tell you, remind me about this. Cause I just got an email from somebody who helped him get in Oh. yesterday. I got an email, which was bizarre cause this happened a long time ago, but, um, but he had joined them and he was, he was legitimately opening up this hospital. He was legitimately working for the Pentagon. He was doing that, he was on the Pentagon website, but he, he told me that he had would wor- was working with the CIA and he had been a hero and he had, had all these op- medals for operations, secret operations that didn't exist officially and all this kind of stuff that you couldn't verify. There's no way to verify that. You cannot call CIA human resources and be like, yo, does this dude work for you? They're not gonna answer. <laughs> yeah, no. Right. So no. I had these suspicions the whole time that something was off, but I couldn't verify it. And as a mm-hmm. journalist, it really drove me nuts. Cause yeah. I'm all about it. you gotta verify. It. So then he would say these things, and one of the things he told me was that he had met his former wife, who with whom he had two kids, he had met her in Iran when he had rescued her. And I said, When were we in Iran? Because the ages didn't add up. She it wouldn't have been seventy-nine because it, it would have been around 90. And I said, we weren't in Iran in 90. He said, no, it was a secret mission. You wouldn't have heard about it. So anytime I had a question, it was always a secret mission that I, I would never have heard about, oh. which is a really convenient response. Yeah. Because you can't again, you cannot fact check. Because it's secret, right? Because it's secret. So the thing that finally killed us so to speak, was or why one I finally walked was something that was verifiable. He lied about Brussels sprouts, which is like completely inconsequential. We, we and I and I talked about this in the book. We went out to dinner with my parents in Washington. He raved about the meal. They were like the best Brussels sprouts ever. As soon as we left, he said, "God, that was a shitty meal." And I was like, "Why did you lie?" He said, well, I wanted to make them feel good. I said, they didn't care. They didn't cook it. You don't have to say anything. Uh And that's when I thought if he could lie about that, he could lie about anything. And I knew, and I had felt along the way that he was gaslighting me. I mean, I felt that he was, you know, I would ask him questions and he would say, you interrogate me and you don't trust me and you have trust issues and all this stuff happens to be true. However, (laughs) you know. He was really making me feel crazy Uh and um, so it was you know so i find when i got the call from dan ryan the special agent it's when i felt like totally validated like oh my god i was right
0: well but he he told you a lot of a lot of stuff though that in there that um you kind of brushed over right like like the like you did live at the watergate but weren't you living like in the bad section of the watergate or something like like
2: the the watergate the slums of the watergate you know it's funny because I live in New York, and and I wanted to change my life up, and I wanted to go to school there in Washington. I wanted to live in Washington. I actually was sort of fascinated by. It. I wanted to sort of write about, about international relations, um, and I was really thrilled to be living there. And we were supposed to go look for houses and places to live, and it just didn't work out. He never could quite commit to looking at a place, or when we found a place in Alexandria, Virginia, he didn't like it. So finally, I said we got to find something because my place. Somebody had was living in my apartment. I rented it, so um, we called the, the the Watergate, and we found the one rental that would happen to be in the Watergate, and it was in the Watergate slums. But you know, I mean, it was not nice. But he said he told me that the uh, Navy was paying for it. And so they were covering it for him because again, they, they wanted him to have a nice house there, mm-hmm. but it was, I mean, it was fine. I say, you know, the water date itself. I mean, like I joke, the median age of the residents was deceased. I mean, it was oh. like, it was really, you know it would have been really nice during the Ford administration. I mean, so, but yes, it was, I was excited to live in Washington and have this sort of big life. And we were gonna uh-huh. go to Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan. And I was interested in that. I wanted to cover all that. And he, that never happened. We were supposed to, you know, he promised me dinners at the, at this embassy and we were going to go meet, you know, Obama and all of that stuff never happened. Anything that did happen, I was never there for. So he once saved somebody's life on the platform of a metro station, you know, and he judo-chopped the assailant. And I said, really, I should be reading about that, you know, in the newspaper. He said, "No, no, no, nobody else saw it. I said, well, there were, you know, cameras, he said, no, no, nobody saw it. And, you know, it was like, it was bullshit. It was all fictionalized. He was like, you know, tilting at windmills in his head. And I, half the time, I think he believed it himself. He was nuts.
0: Well, so you, so, so you're in this relationship and you're like, at, at what point were you like, wait a minute, this isn't like, something's up here. Like what, what was that moment? What, what say say that again what was the moment that the moment where you started to think wait a minute something's not quite right because because there's there's usually whispers of that throughout
2: there were the-, whispers the whole time okay. There were, you know what again he would tell me these things he said that the secret service were watching us uh-huh. and here's what was very confusing because i mean i realize and i'm very open about this i sound kind of like an idiot And again, it was that nothing was verifiable. And it was also, I don't know about this world. I live in New York City. It's not a military world. It's not, that's not what we're about. I mean, the way I talk about it is in in Washington, no one is who they seem to be. And in New York, no one is who they wanna be. And it's it's really, I really feel that way. And Uh I totally get the New York aspirational stuff. The the Washington was just this obfuscation. I didn't know who was working for what and who was doing. I just, it, it really freaked me out. So um, with this guy, it was, he told us me that the Secret Service was, was following us, you mm-hmm. know, and he told his son that too, his son who was 12, who also believed that he had re- met his mother when he rescued her in Iran. I mean, so he was lying to his son, which I didn't like, but again, I thought, wow, if his ex-wife knows this and she's letting him see his kids, then probably there must be some truth to it because if she was in on this deception then that would really be awful for the kids. That's almost like child abuse. So I questioned it. I once said to him, I don't see any secret service outside following us. He said, Abby, you know, the operative words are secret service. So they're not going to be like, you know, walking around with a fedora. And I was like, well, next time tell them to, you know, pick me up so I can save money on taxis, you know I (laughs) mean? And he would get mad at me. Those kind of things didn't make sense to me, but again, I wasn't sure. Right. So it was these little things, but finally, I remember at one point, I uh, he had written a note to his ex-wife talking about a trip that he was taking to Afghanistan, and he, he said, the Navy is making us all write these letters in case we don't survive. I just want you to know that I would try again with you, that kind of thing. And that's, oh. that's yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not about lying on a grand scale. That's like lying, intimate, lying to your partner about yeah. like being with another woman. And that... Those were the kind of things that ultimately I, I couldn't really deal with.
0: Well, because you did, you did
2: move out. You moved out of the Watergate. Didn't, water didn't he say he was moving out too, or something? So, to so I left Christmas of 2010. The whole thing was a year. Uh-huh. So I, I mean, I met him. Well, so t- Christmas 2010, and I said, listen, you know. I can stay. I don't hate you. I can stay. It just the Brussels sprouts thing freaked me out. I can stay in the living room. You can stay in the bedroom. We'll be fine until I find somewhere else. He said, no, I'll stay with my brother and sister-in-law in in Georgetown. You stay in the place. And that's what we were doing. And then one day he came over, maybe it was the end of January, February. So not long. He said, the Navy needs the apartment. You know, they have been paying and it's their apartment. So I need to move out and you need to move out and (coughs) excuse me, someone else is moving in okay he said i'll ship your st- stuff home i said okay so i ended up commuting to washington dc mm. twice a week for school fine no no big deal i'm in washington a few months later and i look up in the watergate and there's a light there's a light on, a light on. Huh. and i was like what so i'm like nancy drew right so i called him and i said oh are you is somebody in the watergate is that you he said it was a comedy of errors i moved everything out of the watergate and then I put it all in storage and then the Navy said, Peter, that was his name. Oh, come on back. Come <laughs> oh, no, we back. know you kept it secret for the whole book. <laughs> I know, I did. I don't care. They said, come on back. And, um, and so he said, so I have to move everything back. And I said, okay. I said, listen, I left some cookbooks there. So I want to go come pick them up, which is not, I mean, I did leave cookbooks there, which was fine. I do not cook. So it wasn't a big deal, but I wanted to get inside the apartment. Uh, oh, so, I went up to the apartment and if I tell you, Tracy, everything was exactly, it was the way it was when I left, when I moved out down to a sliver of soap. And I looked at him straight in the eye. I said, you never moved out. And he said, oh yes, I did. And he didn't blink. He didn't vacillate. He didn't waver nothing. And I just thought you are out of your mind and I got to get away. So that was the last time I saw him. And, and for a long time, I still thought I was just too cynical and too suspicious. And I was just like this awful you know, mistrusting bitch until I got the call.
0: Well, yeah, well then didn't you end up meeting his ex-wife or something?
2: Well, so what happened is after I got the call from NCIS and I made my statement and all that, I kicked into journalist mode Mm -hmm. and my mother, you know, said, I mean, one of the things he told us also that my my mother was like, not not an option, was he told me that he was in which he had been the medical director briefly at Guantanamo because the Navy was in control of that. Mm -hmm. And one of his patients, one of the prisoners was Osama bin Laden at Guantanamo. At Guantanamo, I said that's not possible. I thought I said, they killed him. No, no, this was before they killed him. Oh, this was before they killed him. This was because this was would have been two thousand and six, seven, or something. Whenever I didn't he killed, know he'd ever been in custody. He bingo. I said that's not possible. He said yes, it is. I said the military that that would never be kept a secret. And right. he said, and I said, especially the president, it was Bush at the time, Bush would want this to be out. because oh, totally. he was a hero. And he said, the president doesn't know. And I'm like, what? So there was this part of me, I think, throughout the whole relationship that's actually kind of, in a weird way, I was playing him because I wanted to see if what what about that was true. Like, how far if, would he if, go? Yeah. How far he would go, exactly. My mother, when I told her that, she said, Abby, there's something wrong with this guy. That's not normal. Uh-huh. So when the relationship And she kept also saying, why leave his private practice in Beverly Hills? You don't do that, especially if your two kids live there, like something's wrong. And I got mad at her. I said, you are so mistrusting. That's why I'm so mistrusting. And she said, and I said, I can't call Beverly Hills and ask them about him. And she said, no, of course you can. And she said, I wish you could call the ex-wife. And I said, I can't do that either. She said, right. So when I got the call from NCIS, I kicked into journalist mode and I called the ex-wife. Who told me he had been married before her who told me they had never met she had never been in iran Uh they met in medical school he she told me that he had had another girlfriend with whom he had proposed to when he started courting me so technically he was engaged to another woman when i was first involved with him oh boy and what he had done to her and he was living with her in Jacksonville, Florida, because he was at the hospital there working. What he had done to her was say to her, I have to go off on a secret mission. I will call you when I come back. And he never came back. And the secret mission was Operation Abbey. Oh, man. Yeah. So I talked. So she and I became friends. And I became friendly with all of them. I talked to people he worked with at the Pentagon who were just despondent that this their nice nerdy friendly doctor had deceived them because uh-huh. he did. He used their names for for getting drugs too. That's how he was caught, oh. is because he was forging their signatures for drugs. It uh-huh. was really fascinating. It was, I mean, really fascinating. And I was, you know, I was in the middle of my own little homeland episode. I mean, uh-huh. I, was, I was. It was really cool for me. wow I, I, Oh my gosh! So, 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 you. At what point did you decide to write the book? You know, I had wanted to write a book when I first was with him. I wanted to write a book because, but the but I wasn't sure what it was. And I thought the book might be that, here I am, the, but the greater lesson was, here I am, this cynical journalist who likes to get information, you know? And yeah. I, I do, I ask way too many questions and I know it's, it can be off-putting in intimate relationships. I'm aware of that. <laughs> I can't help it, but I'm trying. But I thought that the book was going to be sort of like how... I was the cynical journalist who married some guy, or was involved with some guy who couldn't couldn't give her all the information about his life, you know, and who had all these secret email I hit life and all this stuff, and that that was the big lesson. So that's the book I thought I was going to write, and how you can't know everything, and that's okay. And then as soon as I discovered this, I thought this is the story I want to write. And the more I talk to people about it. The more I realized everybody had a story about being duped, whether it was by somebody they were involved with, whether it was by a sibling, whether it was by a parent, whether it was by a friend, whether it was by an office colleague, whether it was by a government official. I mean, everybody had a story and I thought it's the victims that I really am interested in, because I mean, the stories of the dupers are fascinating. We all want to know about their makeup, but it's the people on the other end, because Everybody thinks they're stupid. They're gullible. How could they be so dumb? Why would they let this happen? You know. And I wanted to give them them a voice. So that's my very long rambling answer.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, and, and you did find a lot of victims to talk to. Um, right. and, and what was this? Because there's a whole uh, group, the White Collar Wives uh,
2: mm-hmm. uh, Association. Is that what it's called? It was a, it was a Facebook group. Lisa Lawler was her name. Is her name? And it was a Facebook Facebook group she's wonderful, of women who had been married to white collar criminals. And they, um, they you know, they, they were these women who had no idea what their husbands were doing. And some of them were millions of dollars, but some of them were not even that much money. But either way, they didn't know their husbands were committing fraud. Yeah. And so she was helping them kind of navigate the landscape, the legal landscape too, because the women were often liable.
0: Well, well, you are, and then, like, how how does that, like, how does navigating that legal landscape work?
2: Did you learn anything on that? Well, it doesn't work well because usually the women didn't have money. But Mm -hmm. I mean, what what would I know? I met one woman who was wonderful as well um, in Arizona who got the law. Her husband she was married to a guy who I think stole a million dollars, and because they were married, she was liable for it. Oh. And she said, I didn't commit this crime. Uh-huh. She ended up getting a law changed in, in, in Arizona. And I remember when I was engaged to my guy, the commander, as I call him, I went to my lawyer and I said, if, I, if this guy has any debt, am I responsible for it? And they said, what he has coming into the marriage, you are not responsible for, but any debt he incurs in the marriage, you are responsible for. Ooh.
0: Now, did he have any? Did you know? He, he did have some,
2: oh. but I never married him.
0: So oh right matter. right right. Oh that's right. Oh thank goodness.
2: Yeah. 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 But I um but it was really really interesting. Um that I mean I knew something was off. I knew something was off. But yeah, you have to be careful. Women have to be careful. You have to protect yourself. You know, I mean if you could get something in writing first, do it.
0: Oh do yeah. It. Well, and you made a good point in the book and you're like, "Wait, women commit fraud too." Yeah, they do. Yeah. Sure. And so how how is that different? How like the female fraudsters, what did you learn on on that angle? Because there was a guy who had a real similar story to you where Uh you know the the wife was gonna leave the husband and he just kind of kept on and she just what did what did he he went to her dad's house and and the dad didn't even know who he was?
2: He was involved with this woman. He had two kids, she had two kids. Their kids all knew each other. Everything was great. He, she was gonna leave her husband. This was in Texas, I think. She was gonna leave her husband. They took Christmas cards together to send out. And yeah, the pictures, Christmas card pictures. pictures. And she kept on sort of changing things and she would cancel at the last minute, blah, blah, blah. And finally he was like, something's not right here. I'm gonna go to her father's house and ask him properly for her hand in marriage. And he goes to the father's house and says, hi, I'm so-and-so. I, you know me. I know we've never met, but you've heard about me. I'm with your daughter. He's, the father said, I don't know who you are. I've never heard of you. Yeah. She's right now with her husband in, you know, Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. And the guy, my guy was like despondent. And what happened is that she had taken two Christmas pictures, one with him and their families and one with her husband and their family. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I mean, who has the time? You know, and I mean, the the problem is that the internet and social media had made it much easier. You can get an app where you can get signs of airplanes taking off, it sounds, you can get sounds of trains taking off, you can get sounds like Grand Central, you can get fake resumes, you can get someone to give a fake, um, you know, recommendation for a job you never had. I mean, there's so many possibilities out there. It's easy. It's easy to get caught, but it's easy to commit. Yeah.
0: Oh well, yeah. You said that. I wrote it down. Careerexcuse.com. Fake
2: doctor's Careerexcuse.com. notes. Oh my God. I need to look that up. I mean, those... I, you know, let's do that. Cause I'm curious if they're still that. Cause I haven't thought of it. Looked at them for like I'm gonna a I'm going to look it up right abuse. now too. Let's since we're that. here. Careerexcuse.com. Oh, I spelled it wrong. Right, did you get him? Hang on. Yep. There it is. Oh, career Let
0: excuse. Go. I put in fake excuse. Hang on. <laughs> I put
2: the y- wrong a thing. Professional fake references, and many other verification services.
0: Oh my gosh. I should get them on the podcast. I I bet they're on there.
2: The number one most trusted resume reference and verification service. It's all. Wow. Yeah,
0: that is something. I wonder, well, you know, they say, um, I I just heard a study the other day, 60% of people lie in a material way on on a job uh,
2: resume or in an interview. Oh yeah, and they're lying. About, I mean, there were. I, I have in the book. I mean, I don't know. Was it Xerox? Was it somebody that the one of the CEOs lied about his where he went to college and if he even graduated college? I mean, this happens all the time, and I don't know why these people don't think they're going to get caught. Because, but well, I do know why. Because HR, a lot of people, for whatever weird reason, they're not doing their due diligence. They're just not. And I think it's because, and they, they, all people should, but I think it's because they don't expect people to lie to them. They don't expect people to to be so blatant because like, duh, it's so obvious. Well, yeah. And and we do have a preset for trust, right? So
0: so we we have to go, go around that. So, um, speaking of a preset for trust, here is where, um. We have uh, come across the path of the same guy is Lance Armstrong, so um, yeah, I uh, I actually uh, grew up with the guy and uh, Lance. You're from Plano. I'm from Dallas, yeah, mm-hmm. and we were on the same bike team uh, growing up and on Team USA at the same time, and so I've I've watched this trajectory the whole uh, the whole way. I I read his um his book. It's not about the bike, uh-huh. and I and I was there for the first let's say quarter of the book, and I just remember thinking to myself. I do not remember it that way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So so you, you raised professionally? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I did. Did you, oh, Boulder, Davis Finney,
2: he was living there. Yeah, Davis
0: Finney, yeah, Tyler Hamilton,
2: George Henry, all those guys, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And I know, I used to, so I worked on this bike race called the Tour Pont.
0: Oh, you yeah. yeah you, I didn't do that race, but I know, I know. It. I was a little young when that was going, so.
2: I worked on that just in like the press room. No, the first year I was selling t-shirts. Then I worked for two years in the press room. I didn't know anything about cycling at the time, but I met Lance there. And I <laughs> remember thinking he was the angriest person I had ever met in my life. Oh, but yeah. It was clear. He was livid. He was just, and I don't know if it was because, about his, abandonment stuff with his parent, his father. I don't know what the deal was, but I remember that. And I remember talking to him and saying, you are so angry. And I said, but that's what motivates you, isn't it? He said, yes. Yeah. So this was before he got sick. And I remember I was pitching stories about him because he kept winning. He was won the DuPont and I guess he had been a triathlete before that Mm -hmm. and I pitched stories to all the men's magazines GQ Esquire whatever none of them cared they didn't care because nobody cared about cycling then he got sick then he got better and I was surprised that Lance lied the way he did about doping for one reason only I thought his ego was too big to for him to win dishonestly so i thought that he wanted to. oh win. that's I interesting i thought he wanted to win and i thought he would win but i thought his sheer ego would say i am not i don't need to dope i can just win on my stamina alone
0: oh that's well a- you know uh, uh, drug use and cycling has gone hand in hand for uh since the inception of the sport like so so in the 1940s riders were doing cocaine because cocaine's an upper um and it's just kind of it's just kind of gone this just kind of the, the way it was but the problem is that um, no one uh, liked him, right? And he wouldn't learn to speak French and he's a big jerk. And um, and so here here came the wrecking ball and they were gonna get him one way or the other.
2: But well, what did he do? He did exactly what, what my guy did, which is what they all do, which is all, I mean, he, I think he's sociopathic really because he, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not a doctor, I can't diagnose it, but the behavior is he went on the offense. He attacked oh, yeah. He made, he gaslit you. There's something wrong with you. And I remember the hero to me and all of this is Frankie Andreo's wife. Betsy oh, and- Betsy.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I've been talking I to Betsy. Her. I'm trying to get her on the podcast. She um, She has a book coming out.
2: She does have a book coming
0: out. Yeah, that's what she told ta- last we talked that she does. She has a book coming out and it was oh. supposed to coincide with the ESPN, uh, 30 for 30 that Lance did. Uh, but they, they introduced that early because of the pandemic. They knew they'd have an audience. So she was going to try to drop it at the same time. So oh. I bet it's not too long till it comes out. Cause she has uh, some very, very interesting stories. And, um, she's, she's, uh, She's on the warpath. She, she is.
2: Um, I kept saying to her, you should write a book. She said, I said everything I need to say. And I said, no, you didn't, you're the hero here. This man <laughs> was attacking her mm-hmm. and make, I mean, anybody else would have backed down and she didn't. And I mean, he ruined these lives. I mean, oh, yeah. the, 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 what did they call them? The, the, not the massage therapist, what were their names? Uh, Swanier. So, uh, that's what they're Sonier, called. Yeah. yeah. He, just would, he went out and attacked journalists. I mean, he did everybody, everybody else was wrong. And then, and those are the ones who kept going after him and after him and after him. I mean, God bless them. They are the heroes too. And Betsy was one of them. Oh yeah. Well, the thing is
0: everybody knew what was going on. I mean, I I didn't, you, you don't have to, we were all there. We knew what was going on. You don't, we didn't have like hard proof, you know, like like Betsy did, but uh, it's just kind of what you know. And then, but people uh, were afraid to
2: cross him, right? Weren't they? Afraid uh, generally,
0: over? yeah, yeah. I wow. mean, the guy, the guy's winning. He's on, he's on the same bike shop team that I'm on, and he's on Team USA. And so you just
2: go USA, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's I really, that's kind of how it is. I never liked him. This is when I first got angry with him. So in 19. 19- whatever it was when I, I was in grad school the first time. And I guess someone said, do you want to go work on this bike race? Whatever. To travel down South for two weeks. I said, okay. I was selling t-shirts with a t-shirt. crew. One night they gave us, so maybe this was 95, 94, 96. I don't know. Yeah, I was right in there. They, yeah. Okay. So they said, we have to give all of the cyclists jerseys with, mm-hmm. that says George DuPont on it. So I had to hand them out to everybody. And Lance looked at the shirt and he threw it back at me. Yeah. Like, and I said, I, I said, so I remember the last night the, I was livid. I was so angry. I was like, you disrespectful. Who do you think you are? So at the, and I'm like 25 years old, you know, and at the, at, at the last night at the party, I said, I have a bone to pick with you. I said, that was so rude. What are you doing? They wanted you to take the shirt. He said, I wasn't going to wear it. I said, I don't care. You don't throw it back at the person who handed it to you. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure this did not traumatize him, but I was so <laughs> I was just like, I, I never liked him. I just thought he was such a jackass. Yeah. And no, I was that's so-
0: that's super consistent. So yeah. you know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, okay. So what what have you learned through all this? And 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 where have you where have you landed like in your relationships? Because you kind of had a, like a string of bad luck. Right. And and you, you, you've you even taken some deception detection courses, probably not yeah, that different from some of the ones that, that, I, that I've taken um, where, uh, you know,
2: there's law enforcement there and things like that. and um, I took one with the CIA. I mean, I, I went out with another guy many years later. I mean, this was in 2010 with this guy. And then I went out with another guy, I guess, in 2000. 2000- and 16 so that's six years later and I did I fell madly in love with him I call him an artist in the book but he was engaged he was married and he told me that he was separated from his wife and my joke is you know they were separated the way you're separated from your dining companion at the table by like you know a glass I mean they were not separated and he lied and that's terrible and and awful and shitty but it's what it's what most people lie about, right? Mm-hmm. He wasn't telling me that he was like, you know, hanging out with the CIA. So, so that was really bad, but it was a different kind of deception. Having said that, what I learned as far as anything goes, anything goes is really trust your gut. I mean, mm-hmm. and I kept second guessing it. And I kept saying, there's something, I'm too cynical, I'm too cynical. And you know what? I have a really good gut. I knew something was off with this guy. The first guy I got out within a year. It's not that long. Mm-hmm. I questioned, but I wasn't going to stick around with somebody who I couldn't trust. And even the second guy, I knew he was really married. I knew it even though he could go away with me, even though he had weekends for even though he could stay at my house, I still knew he was still married. And that was on me. I mean, I do, I take responsibility. It was terrible that they did this to me and that they did this to other women. I do not feel like a victim. I was victimized, but I am not a victim and I've never been a victim. I have to own my own part of it.
0: Sure, and I think that's super important to, to creating something new, right, for yourself. Yeah. So okay. so here's a question. Yes. Are you with anybody now and do they lie to you?
2: Um, I am, um, <clears throat> I am <laughs> possibly, finally, maybe, perhaps, vaguely interested in being somebody who I just met. Okay. Uh, how's that for an answer? That, but I'm so, sure. so
0: I'm going to take that as a definite, maybe <laughs> 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 leaning towards, they need to raise their game to prove themselves to you. So you
2: know, it's, 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 an, and I said, you know, the one thing I can't deal with is lying. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, but the truth is, if someone wants to lie to you, they're going to lie to you. So right. it's really a matter of it's trust, trust, but verify. And I would just say, verify and still don't trust i mean you know just keeping unfortunately i think you have to be vigilant but i think i think what's true is somebody said to me you know abby you're seeing people who lie you're seeing people men and women you're you're encountering these people because it's so much on your radar Mm -hmm. and i do not believe this whole law of attraction nonsense this this kind of thing that everybody talks about Uh it's not a law it's not like einstein's theory of religion it's not you know it's not like a law but um I, I, but I do believe that we do sometimes often see what we're looking for, if that makes yeah. sense. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm trying now to not be like that. And hopefully I found someone who's not like that.
1: But you oh, never cool. know.
2: Well, we don't know. As a press time, it's unclear. We don't
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're so good. Okay. Where can people get your book? Here's
2: your book. Duped. Where can you my get book. it? Double lives, false identities, and the con men I am with married. You can get it at your local indie bookshop. Online, you can get it at your Amazon. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. You can you can buy it. Um, it's in hardcover. It's in paperback. It's in audio, not read by me, read by a professional reader. And it will be a podcast coming up in September. it's, oh. it's like going to be like Dirty John, like a six episode, and that will be. Oh on wow! Spotify, yes.
0: Ooh, I love it. So, I highly recommend this. It is awesome. It is it is it'll keep you want to read it. So, make sure you go out and get it. And um Abby, how how can people find you? Like if they have a story or They
1: can
2: uh, find if they, Oh, they have a story to tell me about anything um yeah, yeah I want stupid stories. Um you can find me on my local website which was abbyellen.com, a b b y e l l i n.com. Easy enough. And, yeah, it's pretty 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 moron friendly and um oh yeah totally email me I, All right. I love stories like this yeah. oh cool well thank you so much for coming on I look forward to staying in touch thank you so much
0: thanks for joining me make sure you subscribe to this podcast rate and review it I'll see you next time